Reverend. You can have any truth you want. Walk, talk, address a duke, a lord, a bishop, an ambassador. It's absolutely impossible. of the Projections Podcast. We are Sarah, Catherine Cleaver and Mary Wilde and we like to use psychoanalysis to talk about film and film to talk about life. We're back with a series of episodes exploring fashion films. We'll be running through themes including controlling creation, desiring desire, violence and bodies, consuming and corruption, fetish, reading clothes and disguise and secrets as well as anything else that happens to come up during our sessions. We're especially fascinated by the relationship between fashion and death, and we've chosen films that represent this intriguing dynamic. Join us for an in-depth investigation of fashion films. Bye! I've been recording us for five minutes, Oh, so I thought we might have something interesting. (laughs) Okay, so, um, okay, so today we are here to continue with our films about fashion series yeah can we call it a fashion film series or is that a different thing yeah i think yeah films about fashion films about fashion yeah um we are going to venture into two episodes this one and the next one will be about fashion and violence yeah loosely fashion and death fashion and death yeah um and today we're going to be talking about mario barber's blood and black lace yes um, and also, which is in 1960. Um, bear with me. Mm-hmm. Blood and Black Lace, 1964. 1964. And um, Eyes of Laura Mars. Yeah, that's 1978. Irvin Kirshner. Okay. Irvin Kirshner, yeah. And yeah, that's an interesting film, really. And I think these two films together, they're very good yeah. in, in a pair like that. I mean, as, as always, when we choose these films, we kind of choose them... Um, just loosely based on their themes and yeah. then we watch them and think about a little bit about why we chose them. Yeah. And I chose them, these ones, literally because they had fashion and murder in. Yeah. And I think that what I've definitely found from them is that they said something a lot different than what I thought they would say. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we've end- I'm going to end up talking... I don't know about you, but I'm definitely going to end up talking about something very different to what I thought this yeah. whole series would be about, actually. Yeah, I'm looking forward to this discussion, particularly because we're doing sort of two parts on fashion and death. Mm-hmm. With this pair, Eyes of Laura Mars and Blood and Black Lace, it's really focusing on violence and bodies. Mm. The yes. next part will be more on consuming and corruption. So there's, a, let's say, more abstract, theoretical death. Yeah. Whereas here it's much more kind of maybe body horror or like the body count slasher type. Yeah, that's very true. Yeah. um, I think that's quite interesting because I'm always interested in what, um, I had this discussion with someone a few months ago, what other uh, sort of cultures and languages deem as violence is sort of different to what we deem as it so someone some a french girl was sort of using it to describe language or to describe Uh, some like linguistics or to describe something that was this very sort of this kind of very like a vague theme mm -hmm. or like not vague but difficult to grasp theme 
and I'm like I'm I've found yeah, I think we've all found in life that violence to the body and violence to the ego are sometimes quite equally damaging and violence to the body can result in this huge violence done to the ego with post-traumatic stress disorder and things like that so it kind of we've kind of split violence into a little bit so um yeah absolutely and there's yeah there's sometimes some overlap there because of the psychosomatic element yeah yeah absolutely um and then I suppose it's an interesting thing to discuss in terms of fashion and what originally drew me to this yeah. topic because the connection of death and fashion the connection of death and fashion and the the sort of public opinion of fashion as a place where violence is treated trivially yeah which has been a discussion for a very long time i think we're yeah. going to talk about one of the photographers yes. that is uh, definitely an inspiration for one of these films yeah and i think that must might have been inspired by the other one mm. i don't know gibodan worked I'm not sure for a really long time maybe he was working at the time of Blood and Black Lace but I really saw a lot of Guy Bourdain in Blood and Black Lace as yeah. well it's, it's very possible because it seems like Blood, Blood and Black Lace has been very influential it does should we start with that let's film? start with it um I, it was the first time I saw it was it the first time you saw yeah. it yeah it was amazing yeah oh I love it's very it. it's it's absolutely stunning to look at yeah it's incredible yeah Every single the opening credits, yeah, I loved so much, yeah. Because when you see those stills, you think it's a yeah. it's a murder scene, but it's not. It's just like a it, I don't know. It stays as if it's a photo shoot or yeah. something, but there is actually no photo shoots in the film. No. It's only about it's about real life models modeling dresses to real life clients, yeah, customers who yeah. you never meet. Actually. No, you never meet a customer. No, it's completely about everyone who works in the industry yeah it's completely behind the scenes completely behind the scenes yeah um should we give a quick uh, recap as to the story yeah absolutely so this is a 1964 giallo film is it the first giallo film it's it's yeah i think it's a, a very much looked at as a pioneer mm. of um of that subgenre of horror films uh directed by mario bava um it stars cameron mitchell and eva bartok um, and it's basically the whole story revolves around the stalking and brutal murders of various uh, fashion models. Yes. Um, and it seems to be committed by a masked killer who's um, desperately trying to obtain a, a diary that's full of these like scandalous secrets. Yeah. So the first girl gets murdered, they find yeah. her diary. And then anyone that sort of comes into possession of this diary gets murdered in the search for this, for this what must contain some kind of evidence. Yeah. About the about the original crime, um, but it, it kind of it's like kind of a proto slasher as well because you have yeah. someone stalking and killing only women. Yeah. Um, they work in they all work in the same fashion house. Yeah. Which is these like which just. It's kind of a bit Suspiria. Yeah. Uh, there was a point where they, where the um, detective says, you know, the, do they all live here? And she says, like, it's not a boarding school. But, like, it, um, that had to be explained because oh, yeah. it seemed like it was some kind of fashion, like, yeah. fashion boarding school with all of these girls here working. Yeah. And all of these, like, different men who had different jobs. Yeah. Um, it was really beautiful. And all of those little pink changing rooms. That's right. That they all those get Those vibrant in. colors. It's yeah. very Suspiria. But it seemed kind of a bit before, I mean, the, sort of 1965 is when fashion is really changing and mm-hmm. people, it's, well, it's a little bit later than that, but 
it's got quite an a tra- like an old fashioned mm. representation of fa- of the industry, which yeah. is that people that models went on runways to small selections of very rich people, and you could buy clothes right off the models. That's basically. it, exactly. And so that's how fashion used to be consumed. Yeah. So it doesn't have some of the kind of so, but at that time, you know, photography was really becoming this like exciting new like david bailey all yeah. of this like movement and these like new young people mm-hmm. who have were beautiful and all these new styles but it's not it looks like it's from like the 50s yeah like they're all and all their clothes are really 50s it's like yeah. it's, it's obviously set in this sort of pre-mass cons- yeah. consumption era of fashion exactly it's mm. it, yeah that's very notable about it and it's the film itself is very influential it seemed to be um, and ultimately served as a template, a stylistic template for all those kind of body count slasher films of the 1980s. I was actually writing down things that I thought, things that it reminded me of. It all so the opening credits of the Neon Demon, yeah, which we're going to discuss next week, yeah, very similar. That glitter, Uh, Guy Bourdain. I don't know. I'm have to try and figure out where Guy Bourdain comes in this history. Yeah, but. we're going to talk about the eyes of Laura Mars later, which yeah. just has people down as a direct influence. That's right. But those bodies of women, like partially dressed women, they they really people down. Um, Margiela, yeah, that mask, mm-hmm. that stocking mask. Yeah. Um, Vertigo. I yeah. Um, when he's dragging her up the stairs, when he's oh, dragging yeah. one of the girls' bodies up the stairs. Yeah. It really reminded me of Vertigo. It really reminded me of Hitchcock in general. Yeah, I was going to say, it's very Hitchcockian. Yeah, I think that it must have been It must have been an influence. Because it's not really a horror film, is it? It's like a murder no, mystery. Yeah, so it's more of a murder mystery. Even though it's got these quite violent deaths, it's yeah. It's still a whodunit. That's right. Um, it's a, And then also, I Know What You Did Last Summer. Do you oh, remember that? Oh, yeah. When she's being, when she's like in the shop and he's in there and she's and she's like she works in like a, like a makeup stand in a department yeah. store and she's trying to escape him and they're in they're locked in this shop That's together so true. it's like and it really reminded me the bit when she goes to the antique shop and she's like walking around in the dark and being stalked it was yeah. a lot like i know it must have been and an yeah and the guarding of secrets yes yes it's so true um and then also the usual suspects when all yeah. the men are rounded up and yeah. put in a lineup mm-hmm. it, like they were, i just thought like there's there are shots from the usual suspects that are just lift, lifted straight out of there so it just has had this influence absolutely and i mean it th- there's so many contemporary filmmakers ranging from dario argento mm-hmm. of course you've mentioned to also martin scorsese yeah. um and quentin tarantino apparently quentin tarantino is, a big, is fan. a big fan and maybe reservoir dogs we can see that yeah i think so yeah i would like quentin tarantino to make a more a fashion film but also in a way kill bill too yeah because it's sort of like you know someone going on a killing spree Mm. um and every single murder is its own set piece that sort of i can see where that might have been an original kind of inspiration definitely i don't know whether you really had murder set pieces until blood and black Lace. exactly i mean like psycho is like one set piece yeah um, but like that is such a tradition exactly. of movies that each death is sort of more gruesome than the last, and these deaths are very gruesome. They're very gruesome. They get more gruesome. Ooh. Yeah. Um, but it's <laughs> the still, furnace. Oh, it was just so disgusting, so <laughs> horrible. 
Um, I was surprised to find it so horrible because I, thought, yeah. you know, when you see an old horror movie, you're not used to you, you're not used to being scared. No, you know, it's dated. Yeah, there's no really there's horrible. no real suspension of disbelief. No, but here there, I thought there was. Yeah. It was very engrossing. I was very engrossed. I would have liked to. Yeah, what you were saying. I would have liked to see it on a big screen. Yeah, I think my favorite shot of the mur- of one of the murders though was, um, is it Tilda, the one who dies in the bath? Yes, that is the best shot. That's really, really nice. Yeah, it's just and so she's, beautiful. She's I, so voluptuous. She is. And she's one of the, I mean, I have to say, that I think it is something that's comparable to later slashes. Yeah. A lot of these girls don't really have very distinctive personalities. No, no. Um, I mean, one of them's like quite scared. One of them's not scared. Um, one of, I don't know, they've all got like, they've all got a secret. And they have all got their own shit going on. Mm-hmm. But they're not. Um, they don't really have personalities, so you no. don't really, like, you you don't really feel for them very much. No, it just you're just waiting for the next one to to go. Yeah, know, guessing who it will be. Yeah, um, but maybe that's an 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 interesting uh, idea that runs in parallel to the industry that they work in. I suppose so. Because in in a way, what they're called to do, being models. Um, which is something that also occurs in the eyes of Laura Mars, where there are two models who who get killed in that, yeah. and I I believe it's at their wake when someone runs the definition of what a model is. It's, yeah, I was you know? watching it this morning, and he was like, you know, and he said, I don't, I didn't know these girls, but I thought, you know, so I thought I should get to know them, so I looked up the definition of model. Yeah, and it was just this really strange. It was, this, you know, this really bizarre. Yeah, really weird because he's almost admitting that they no one ever bothered to actually get to know their distinct personalities, that it was irrelevant to their work, and that really their function is significant in relation to the artist Mm -hmm. and their vision. Yeah, that is what he says, right? Yeah, and he also says something about modeling that you know other people then rely on the model as something to emulate to copy and imitate to like set a good example for beauty right um which that makes it interesting because i think that same idea or concept also applies in blood and black lace where the fact that these are individual women let's say with distinct uh types of personalities and histories and likes and dislikes you know it's it's the fact that they are sort of almost indistinguishable from each other mm-hmm. apart from visually even some apart of them from, do look, look the same actually yeah and i wonder whether in a way it's sort of the horror of the the story the drama of it hinges on the fact that they they do sort of they're all almost kind of mass you know mass produced in some way yeah i suppose they are and they like so it's like mass mass produced death as well. You know? Yeah. That's just like it's just you just wait for the next one. Exactly. The next one. The next one. And you just know that that's how the whole film is set up. That yeah. That's that they're all that's the go. formula of the film. Yeah. So you're just expecting more deaths, and it becomes normalized. Mm. It's a really interesting concept, tying that into that industry. You know, like that. Why do you, that's the, that's that sort of my question? Why mm. did this film have to be about the fashion industry as opposed to being? A yeah. house full of dancers, a house yeah. full of you know artists, a house full of accountants. Like, why did this have to be about exactly. fashion? Did it exactly. have to be about fashion? I think it resonates at a very authentic level that it is fashion. Okay. Yeah. In a sort of unconscious association yeah. level? Yeah. Okay, so 
and it touches on what you know originally your your idea was. I think this is something we explored when we were talking about Bruce Weber's film, mm-hmm. that the industry itself is predicated on a very short shelf life mm. of objects that are one day deemed as desirable, and but there, there's no they're not that kind of longing to obtain is not an enduring quality mm. because it's set up to be ever-changing, to be constantly dying a death and then re-emerging. Because otherwise, you know, if the whole st- structure of the business is predicated on satisfaction achieved, mm-hmm. there's no money in it. Yeah. So little, lots of little deaths. If lots you, of little deaths. The, La petite mort. Yeah, lots of <laughs> orgasms. Lots of orgasms. Um, that's interesting because I actually, I'm looking for my phone because I, before just prior to... Uh, recording this maybe about five hours before yeah I put some stills on Instagram oh yes oh Oh, it's on the chair oh thank you yeah I put some stills on Instagram and I asked people what they thought about why there are so many films about this that contain death and fashion yeah and it was kind of interesting like I got a lot of people recommending books and oh yes things to me which was really nice and Um, film titles film titles um, and mannequin. Yes, uh, mannequin. We've really got to watch mannequin. That yeah. Really <laughs> um, and then there's this girl who I talk to sometimes. I've never met in real life. I love my Instagram friends. Um, um, Maggie Dunlap. I've wondered this before, maybe because in real life, fashion acts as a denial of mortality altogether. Ah. Which was a really interesting yeah. idea. It's kind of. It's it's true on the one hand, but then on the other hand, there are there are a lot of little smaller deaths. In this whole avoiding the, I don't know, same similar with um, I don't know, hookup culture versus relationships, like avoiding like really mm-hmm. terrible beginning and ends, or uh, in favor of lots of smaller beginning and ends. Yes. Or like one as opposed to one, one terrible terrible, life ruining beginning and end. Yeah. Um, but maybe that's just my personal projection of what's scary. Um, so yeah, that's interesting. That's. I think people do think about death when they think about fashion. I think so. And I think, um, you know, I remember having this discussion actually with someone about not so much necessarily just the fashion industry, but just the way that our entire economic system is, you know, structured. Because we talked about that with My Fair Lady. We did. You know, and in terms, just this idea that uh, things grow out of fashion and so we're kind of prompted to buy new things Mm -hmm. let's say if even if we're just talking about um you know planned obsolescence um the idea that our electronic devices have built have death built into them Mm. so that the market ensures that our consumption is renewed we have we have no choice we have to after a certain number of years buy a new product because it no longer works. And all our houses are full of corpses. Exactly. Drawers full of old phones and yeah. chargers that don't charge anything yeah, anymore. Yeah, exactly. And laptops that just stopped one day. Serial deaths. Serial deaths. Yeah. We're all serial Plant. killers. We're, We're all, all just using these things until they can't take it anymore. We have the technology to build products that will not break down. Mm. We absolutely do. Plant obsolescence is such a fascinating concept to me, psychoanalytically, because we're deliberately building objects with built 
with, with sorry with, with death already embedded in them that's fa- that's a fascinating that thing to fascinating. think about and i and and it's not just the fashion industry it's, no, the no, fashion it's, industry it's is just everyone. one example mm. but it's it's absolutely so far reaching and pervasive in our culture and i was thinking about that and i and i it, the conversation i was having was with someone who said well this is just the only type of economic model that we're capable of because we're catering to our own drives we're catering to the the human nature which is desire is always there it's always present and we always need to be satisfied again and again mm-hmm. and so we're just catering to that and i said well maybe you know i i just said i think that our our demise is encoded in that we don't have to go down that path because we live in a we, we don't live on an infinite you know on a planet with infinite resources mm-hmm. we do have finite resources and we are being warned about consumption etc for environmental concerns and i said that um i actually believe that this economic model however way you want to qualify it whether it's neoliberalism or late stage capitalism or whatever i don't think it's the the most ideal model that exists to cater to us i what i think is that it's it's an it's it's a system and model designed to exploit a naturally occurring drive. It's just exploiting it. It knows that it's there and it's taking advantage of it for profit. But it's not responsible. So you're saying we all need therapy to get out of capitalism. <laughs> I do. Basically the only way we're going to extricate ourselves from this ridiculous system is if we all <laughs> get enough therapy to break our terrible repeating habits well we we don't yeah I, I love that i love that idea that all of you know the the psychoanalyst in this in this uh, scenario is some kind of superhero that is coming to kind of like heal us from this self-destructive urge and I drive. I think they're a financial psychoanalyst. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I think Zizek kind of sees himself yeah, as a... Da- that's true, because he's he kind is, of an economist. Yeah, a, a yeah he's a Marxist. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, what I would say is probably more that um, there's just no regulation. Mm-hmm. You know, there's just no um, economic oversight over these decisions that are being made, which should really be looking at this exploitation because I think the desire is there there's no denying it there is a certain aspect of human nature that is always craving more Mm. Uh, this is just a system that it's not that it's it's one it's the only one available to satisfy it that's a lie it's the only one currently that is the sort of has become the dominant model and it's exploiting what we're we're capable of the worst side of what we're doing Mm. just exploiting it for profit and only a very small elite group of people are getting rich off of this it's not like we're all profiting not at all um so you know that's just and i that's just my view of it i think there i think it's not it doesn't have to be this way This is why aliens will never visit us because we're not evolving out of here. (laughs) You know, we need to evolve. Um, But I mean, coming back to the fashion element, I think that in a way it makes sense that this craving, this this naturally occurring pre-existing drive, uh, which I link to the, you know, what Freud talked about, the psychic wound Mm. of the baby through its, you know, 
growing up and, and developing more and gaining more independence through doing things on its own, you know, talking, using the toilet, um, feeding itself, etc., dressing itself, whatever. However much that might be great and exciting for the baby to start learning those new skills, those very first early skills of development ensure that the very first separation, the very first feeling of loss and abandonment, which is from the mother or from the primary caregiver, where once the baby felt it was fused with the body of the mother, it is now no longer merged with that identity. It's developing its own identity. But actually, psychically, Freud, you know, he's, he's presupposed that that is that's really the origin of all of our problems, this idea of that first abandonment, the first love that we lost. And we're just trying to fill that gap, that psychic chasm, with all kinds of stuff. God, that's interesting. You know? And, and so we, we just we still, miss our mom. Is that why we still like <laughs> cuddling, even when we're not babies anymore? Yeah. Yeah. We miss just that fusion together with yeah. somebody else. That, that separation, you know, and it's inevitable. It's inevitable because... Of course, we have to gain independence. It makes perfect sense. But we're forever locked in this feeling, eternally like craving something that we lost. And it's it, it manifests itself in so many different ways. And I think an industry like fashion um, is not alone in actually exploiting something. That low-level kind of like aching, you know, mm -hmm. that something that you always feel you've lost. So you do all kinds of things to fill yourself up again. That's interesting. You know, and you look at, when I look at a film like Blood and Black Lace, it's so interesting to me because just the whole formula of it, it's just <laughs> this idea that um, the public image of this fashion house is at stake because of potential secrets that can be revealed. Mm. And they're trying to consciously manage their image by projecting a certain persona out into the world in order to ensure that their respectability is intact and that they continue to get all these fabulous, glamorous clients, et cetera, et cetera. So they have to maintain this facade. That, that to me is interesting too. They're kind of all the, everything, all the violence and brutality. It's a very violent and brutal film. And, um, but I have to say I had, a, I had a, not a, it's not a, separate reading yeah there's like a slightly different reading of yes it. and it wasn't exactly a reading it was just that my what i thought these both of these films would be about yeah was something very different and i yeah. think it's because both films um feed you a theory that is misleading and that isn't actually what the film thinks okay so there is this uh, he says in the the detective says in the police station or i think it's one of the uh, men says about the other man this is oh you know he's impotent and it's and he's he's trying to destroy beauty because he can't have it. Ah. Um, and then there's something similar that I mean we're gonna this is this point we're gonna do spoilers, guys, because yeah. you're gonna find out who the murderers are in both in both films. Yeah. Um, but they're very old films. Like it's fine. Like it's yeah. just it's, I watch I watch so many films knowing what happens at the end, and it doesn't ruin my enjoyment of the film. <laughs> but if you're one of those people, then go and watch the films. Yeah. Um, with the eyes of Laura Mars, there is this like this sort of there's, it just devolves into this ridiculous, like multiple personalities. Uh, someone having a like a, a prostitute mother who is like murdered, <laughs> and you know, like one side of him like just like hates women, and the other side. Of... But they're not about that, and no. I thought they would be. I thought that these films would be about violence against women, and that mm. they would be wrapped up in the in fashion, mm. in in some kind of mis sort of 
this in some kind of theory about how fashion uh, hurts women, which is what that's what I assumed it would be. But they're not about that at no. all. No, and. The thing that I think both these films are about yeah. is about um, the threat of female financial independence. Oh, wow. Um, the thing I found really interesting about all those girls in Blood and Black Lace yeah. is as much as they didn't have personalities, they all had, they were all absolutely fine on their own. Yeah. Like, they had, like, some of them had boyfriends. Yeah. But they weren't, like, boyfriends they were financially no. dependent on. In fact, like, one of their boyfriends is, like, completely broke and, mm. like, hiding it and... Uh, that like a couple of them don't have them, but they all they and there is no, there's not even you don't even show their their customers. You don't even show them working for the money. They just seem to they just seem to exist in this place where they're all they've all got cars. They've all got these yeah. beautiful houses. Yeah, and um, they're quite autonomous. They're very autonomous. Yeah. And at the end, it, it transpires that it's this couple that yeah. run the that run the fashion, the fashion house, house together. Yeah, and that she killed her first husband, and it's that secret that was originally uncovered that caused her to get her boyfriend to kill this girl. That's right. And then they have to keep going, and then when all of the men are kept in custody, mm. um, there uh, she goes out and kills another one, so he'll be released. Yeah. And then he double crosses her, and he says, mm-hmm. "You know, you have to kill one more, and we'll frame it, and we'll make it make it look like it's this person." And he does does it to her. She goes and kills he, that girl. He tells in the bar. her to make it look like a suicide. Yeah, he tells her to make it look like a suicide. Yeah. And then he uh, tells her to escape down the drain That's pipe, it. and he cuts the drain pipe so she falls on the floor, and like like she falls to her well to her supposed death. And he goes straight into her house, and he picks up her jewels. Jewels, yeah. And he's a desperate one he, trying to, yeah, absolutely. And she says, and she appears like all bloody yeah. and like, and like shaky. That She's was really a great good, scene. Like crying. Yeah. I took so many screenshots of her crying <laughs> covered in blood. Um, and she says, I thought I'm, I, she's like, I'm sorry. I thought we were together and you loved me, but you just love my money. Yeah. And in a way it is about, um, impotence. It is. It? But just not impotence of the kind of that stupid, like, 60s no. men hating, like, men being, like, sexually frightened of women way it's that the so film true. wants us to think. It's so true. And I and I noticed the same in... He's threatened by the fact that she's a successful yeah. business leader. Yeah. Because, like, yeah. they could just be together, but he wants... And he, and he goes for... I mean, he, he's gonna... Like, they've got married in secret. He's presumably gonna in, inherit the entire business in the house. Yeah. But he goes for these jewels... Like, he goes for this, like, conspicuous consumption, yeah, yeah. like, has this handful of, like, glittering diamonds. It's so cliche. And that's, and that's where she walks in and finds him. Like, look, just, like, rifling through this jewellery case. Like he, like, he doesn't need those. No. You know, he'll get them eventually, but he has goes right for them. And so it's not about, like, none of these films are about violence, or they are, they're not, they're not about the physical violence or the sexual violence or the hatred of women. They're about the violence of money. Yeah, I suppose, and it's the same in the eyes of Laura Mars. Mm. You think it's, you know, you have this thing, this sort of psychosexual element, but it's not a, but the element that's really interests me is how much they keep, is the, it's not the fact she's taking these violent images, it's the fact she's making a lot of money, like that she's entered the art world. Okay, okay, you, I've just had a thought here, okay, and it completely ties into what you said. Mm-hmm. What if the um, financial success of these women? actually stands in for something typically Freudian, mm-hmm. which is their the abundance that they represent in terms of resources, mm-hmm. right? In terms of their body being full of resources, like nurturing, replenishing, 
um, you know, sort of life-giving mm. resources. And what if the the unconscious concern, the unconscious threat is that, you know, that severance, you know, that cutting off from the original life force, which, which is sort of embodied by the mother. And it, I just suddenly thought of this completely unrelated to our program here for fashion and film, but in the house that Jack built, yeah. uh, Jack, um, he, what does he do? He mutilates his girlfriend, um, played by Riley Q. Riley Q, love you. Continue. We love her, absolutely. He cuts off her breasts. Yes. Yeah. And then he uses one as a wallet. Yes, he does. Oh my God. He the puts house his money Jack in there. Is the missing fashion film for this series. He does. I was thinking about that just yesterday. I don't know why. It's like someone said something about making a. I can't remember. Like I, I don't remember what it was, but I remember like was having to stop myself. Be like, you should make it out of a girlfriend's breast because like, I was like, no one wants to hear that at this party that I'm at. But um, oh god, that's so interesting. He puts his money in there. So she's dead, yeah. and then he, her a part that that sort of very classically Freudian mm-hmm. body part, you yeah. know, the breast, the life giving um, sort of symbol, the nourishing symbol, mm. is now the place where he keeps his money. That is very interesting, and where in, he sustains um, himself. Also in um, Eyes Wide Shut, yeah, um, that film is has it is a film that is that tells you it's about sex, but it's very much about money. Oh yeah, or the the money, or it is about sex, but it's about this uh, like this sort of again hard to grasp um, this feeling of desire that she has that he tries to compete with in these very material ways, and I suppose you know in a very general way it's about sort of women's sexuality versus men's sexuality and the kind of untangibility of maybe of women's sexuality and the, yeah. the much more sort of graspable literally sexuality of men yeah and he but he does he keeps spending money as That's he's going right. on this journey like the first he's line rain. the first line in that film is honey have you seen my wallet oh yeah and the last line oh is fuck oh my god and so like true. everywhere he goes, you know, he like pay, he like rips that uh, like a hundred dollar bill in half yeah. to get the taxi to wait for him. He like bribes the guy to open the shop so he can get a costume. He's like he's always he's, like, flashing the cash, constantly spending money, spending money, spending money in this desperate attempt to keep up with his wife, who's just at home yeah. having a just she just having a, a sexy dream. Yeah, just having a sexy dream about him, and he and, never like, catches up to her. Yeah, because despite the you know. I mean, it's probably a fever dream, but mm. despite his crazy adventures and on a town, um, he comes back and he st- it still doesn't measure up. He's still pretty much impotent. Well, yeah, he is. Compared to what she's been up to in her dreams. Yeah. She's been having sex with so many guys, you know, in her dream. It's so interesting. I, I, I wonder whether in these films, you know, Blood and Black Lace mm-hmm. and Eyes of Laura Mars, this, you know, the... the, the because it's, it's it's Christina, right? In in Blood and Black Lace, she's the fashion, um, she's the fashion designer. She's I don't the top. Know if she is the fashion isn't designer. She? I'm not sure. It's I think named she's after the, her. Is she, yeah, it is named after her. Which I thought said Christian, which ah. was a like Christian Dior reference, but ah, it's not. Yeah. Um, well, maybe it is. Um, I don't know. Like she doesn't. There's not very much creativity in this film. Like you don't no. see you don't see people making. Right? No. Like it's a very it's like a beautiful film, mm-hmm. and every. Every scene is this like incredibly shot like fashion photograph, mm. really. 
but um, yeah, you don't ever see. She might not is, be the actual leader of it. Yeah, because there is a fashion designer. That's the guy right. that they say is impotent. Oh, that's is, right. Is one of the designers. He's one but of the they, designers. I, and she, but I don't know. Everyone. Oh, you're right. Everyone, even like the guy who fixes the sign, seems to know quite a lot about fashion. Like he's like yeah. getting the women. I don't know. I don't understand people's jobs in this in this fashion house. It's very ill-defined. It's very ill-defined because, and it's not a. It's not about that. No, really. it's not about it's just that. that they're all. They're all having a fairly easy time of it. They're all making money, and they yeah. all just have their own shit to do. And yeah, and I've, I I found so that true. quite an interesting thing. But you, I, I do think you're right. I do think that it is some kind of uh, nervous relationship had by the you know certainly the, this guy mm. um, in in relation to his perception of women being independent yeah. and having you know be, being able to live their own lives making their own decisions yeah maybe having affairs and having romantic stories happen but not that's not the whole the whole world yeah. there's other things going on and it's a very bleak view of relationships that when yeah. uh, the guy who I can't remember what his name is but he's the guy who fixes the sign who I really liked I did too um, and he comes he goes in to see is it Peggy the yeah, one that Peggy. Cr- was crying in the beginning and he says to her, sadly, I've fallen in love with you. That's right. Oh, which yeah. I wrote down because it struck me so much. Yeah. And then, and you know, she says the same, the same thing. She said, I, you know, I thought you were in love with me. I'm, but you're, yeah. you're, you're not. And it's just that no one, I don't know. And then there's the girl who has the rich, like, count as a boyfriend. And he's oh, yeah. like, actually doesn't have any money. No. And he's, like, he's impotent as well. Like, he has this big flashy house, but it doesn't have anything. No. He's, you know, it's all like, and everyone, and the other guys are the, at the art, the antiques dealer that is the first murdered girl's boyfriend is a cocaine addict. And everyone's, all these men are just like, all these men are just suffering from these, yeah, these the, cravings and addictions and these unfulfillable cravings and addictions. Exactly. Spending cocaine, being in like unrequited love. Yeah. They're in a state of distress mm. and relatively speaking the women are doing pretty well yeah they are and they have to be cut down in that sense because it's like they in a way their very existence uh is a reminder of that um you know the origins of the life-giving force that has been they're now separated from and they can't access anymore so they have to be cut down yeah and yeah. the way that they are murdered or yeah. the not so, sometimes not the method of murdering but they're all mutilated facially. That's right. And that their faces their livelihood. are how they make their money. Yeah. That's their livelihood. Um, they're, one of them gets like a, a oh suit God. of armor death. It's like, A, that wouldn't kill you. <laughs> like, it just, like, there's just some spikes in her cheek. It's that like, it would be horrible, but it would not kill no. her. She dies straight away. And then the furnace. Oh my God, the furnace scene. It's just horrible. It's kind of crazy. Yeah. That That scene is really worth looking at because it's, Again, just that alone probably wouldn't kill you. Mm. You'll probably be in agonizing pain. You probably want to die. But it's it's this idea that it's naturally assumed mm. that if your livelihood, which rests on, you know, these models, their beauty and their glamour, et cetera, et cetera, once you take that away from them, they cease to exist. Yeah. You know? that. The, yes. You know? Yeah, that's true. Their whole it just, identity. It kills them. It kills them. Yeah. Then um, that's what, and that's why they don't have personalities, maybe. Exactly, yeah. And that that, that in itself is an interesting point. Mm. You know, it's an interesting uh, way to look at the strange dynamic between beauty and death, mm. between fashion and death. Um, yeah, it's... 
And I think when the woman kills them, they don't get their faces mutilated. That's right. They only do when he kills them. Yeah. Um, I can't remember how the first one dies. I don't know if she is mutilated. Uh, she's she's walking home, isn't she? And she yeah, gets and she gets stabbed. But I'm not sure if something happens to her face or not. I didn't uh, by that. T- I don't think I've made that connection at that point, so I wasn't paying attention. I'm now thinking of the death with in the bathtub. Yeah, Tilda. Um, so she, nothing really happens to her face. She's drowned in the tub. They do sh- it does it's her shot of her face. Exactly. It's a shot and of her, with like, the blood with the, yeah, kind filling of the water. Oh, it's yeah. beautiful. And the girl who is scared, the girl's too scared to go home. That's it. Um, she doesn't get she, her face mutilated. Either. She gets suffocated with a pillow. Yeah. And then the other girl is put on top of her. Yeah. That was really scary, actually. That when was she finds very the girl, scary. The girl's body in the boot of oh. her car. And then she puts it down, and then she's upstairs, and then the body starts to, like, move. You see, you just see this, like, very still shot of the body behind a screen, and then it starts to, like, move in, like, someone's oh, dragging awful. it by the feet. Oh, it's so... That was actually... That really, was like, made... It kind of made my heart drop a little Me bit. Me too. It was really horrible. It was really scary to yeah. look at. Um, do you think that... Um, well... I, there were a few bits of kind of symbolism, yeah. or super, symbolism and superstition that I found really interesting. Yes. Um, three things. One, the first body falls out of a wardrobe. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, there's a really long Hitchcockian amazing scene with a handbag where everyone's looking at the handbag, right. which I found really interesting. Very suspenseful. And then there's a scene where none of the girls want to wear the dress yeah. that the first dead girl yeah. is supposed to wear. Yeah, it's almost as if it's being cursed or something. Yeah, which and, it is because yeah. the girl who does wear it is the next one to get murdered. Yeah. Um, so I really liked that kind of superstition, but the the wardrobe bit really in- interested me. Yes. The the symbolism of that, and then also the what a handbag. What did you means. think of that? I couldn't figure out much about the wardrobe apart from just that it uh, that it, again it just it does. I mean, I was questioning myself, you know, throughout this film. Does does this have to be about fashion? Does this have to be about fashion? And it was mm. those touches and those moments where I realized that it did have to be about fashion yes. like all those murders i think they it did. did they had to do they had to, well that it's their business it's their business and that first body falls out of this falls out of you know of this symbol of clothes and fashion of, yeah. out of this wardrobe i really i really liked that but Me then too. also just like kind of i mean <laughs> I, it had no like it had no really like queer significance or anything but they, but yeah. I don't know, why do they call it out of the closet? Is it a place where desires are are hiding? Oh, for me, I looked at it and I thought, it did occur to me as well as a kind of strong, sort of highly charged bit of symbolism. And the only thing that really struck me is this idea that maybe particularly for us watching it, you know, at the end of 2018, mm-hmm. we, we've probably in our lifetime witnessed lots of uh, reanimated fashion trends, you know. <gasps> yes, that's the, very true. The zombie trends that keep coming back from the dead. Yeah, I remember being in high school and you know in in ni- 1994, 1995, being in high school, and you know flared jeans were a thing that had come back from the seventies. Yeah, yeah, you know? I remember that too. Things coming back from the dead. Um, and I suppose another thing is that clothes are essentially dead until you put them on. Exactly. Oh, yes, of course. So the wardrobe is, is you know, it does house corpses. Again, just <laughs> wow. like how the drawers where people love are with iPhones. Um, but the handbag, I think the handbag yeah. is what made me think that the film was about the, finan- the oh, yes. financial power oh, of the yeah, woman. Because the handbag is a very, like, 
autonomous yes like place that women that women have you yeah. know like there's that there's that sort of it stores the money it stores their money and yeah. you're not supposed it's like there's this sort of old uh sort of trope of politeness that you're not supposed to look in women's handbags oh yes you know you're not you, you, like that's their space yes like in um uh dilemma for murder he's like con- he's like was rooting around in a handbag yeah. because he's like you know because of that thing with the key and he's yeah. trying to have her killed and stuff like that and you can spit like when he takes it he keeps taking it from her and she as her power like goes and goes and goes and that's and she puts it in her and it's when they find the diary and you know and peggy finds it and she says i'd like to keep this because i'm the one that found it i'd like to give it to the police but it's because it's got a secret about her in but of yeah. course it's got a secret about all of them in that's right so they are all nervous about it but yeah. she puts it in her handbag and everyone is kind of, again, impotent. Like, no one can do anything about it because she's put it in her handbag. Yes. And so she's put, she puts it on her handbag, she puts the handbag on the table, she goes to do her walk on the runway and everyone's just staring at yeah. this handbag, but no one can go and get in it. And then also about mm. how easily switched they are, though, because that is how someone gets it, is how they... Oh, no, it isn't that they give it to Peggy, is it? They give it to... It's the other one. It's the one that gets killed in the antique shop. Oh, yeah. And Peggy switches it and takes That's it. it. Um, but that's and I think that's the that's wow. something in that Dressing Dangerously book which I'll put up on Instagram because I can't uh, temporarily I've forgotten the name of the author but he says something about how they're so easily switched yes and there's a lot of there's a lot of um, there's a lot of film narratives where handbags are switched yes um, and uh, I suppose that is another thing about maybe the interchangeability of the women yeah absolutely and but also I'm certainly now thinking I remember hearing um a psychoanalytic, uh, I think he was actually a therapist, but he was giving this lecture about a traditionally Freudian symbols. Mm-hmm. And of course he talked about the phallus, but he also talked about how his a lot of his patients had dreams about wallets and, and bags, handbags and things, um, like backpacks, you know, all, suitcases, whatever. And he, he said they were, for him, a very reliable symbol of the vagina. There you go. So a place where, or the womb, yeah. you know, like something very, very closely connected to um, the female anatomy. Mm. And actually there's a film called um, Surviving Life. Have you seen this film? No. It's by a surrealist Czech filmmaker who uses a mixture of like animation. So, so stop motion animation and live action. He's called Jan Svankmeyer. Oh, I've of, heard of him. Yeah. yeah. I've seen a few short, like, I think. Yeah, I've he's seen done a lot of shorts. Short films. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've never seen anything feature length by him. Yeah, so he's actually, he made this, it's it's a very, very directly psychoanalytic film. It's about a guy who has a recurring dream about his mother. I mean, it's, you know, as Freudian as you, get, as you can get. But he keeps on having dreams about the woman opening her handbag. Oh, that is The woman who appears in the film, who's a kind of stand-in for his for a fantasy lover, but also his mother. Mm-hmm. Um, she keeps opening her handbag and her wallet and things. So for me, I think the taboo around the handbag as a symbol of, yes, absolutely, like it's something attached to the woman and something personal, something private that only she really should have access to. There's yeah. a kind of, kind of taboo around somebody else looking through. You know, there's a kind of violation, a transgression yeah. around those boundaries. For me, I think it does make me think of the the anatomy that it's you know you wouldn't expect someone to look through your handbag unless they you, you give them consent. Mm. You know, there's something very personal about yeah, it. Yeah, that's true, actually. You know, yeah. 
I mean, I'd, I'd be furious. I mean, even now, living, you know, with my husband, if I saw him going through my handbag without me saying it was okay, I would be pretty upset. Mm. And that's crazy because I have nothing to hide from him. But it's just, it's just a taboo attached to that. Actually, like you'd have to ask me first. That's funny. I um, I put, uh, I left. I went to a party last night, and I left my, I left a few, quite a few things there. I left my makeup bag there. Oh Not yeah. Not quite the same, but similar. Yeah. And the person that found it, um, we had a WhatsApp group to organise the party. The person that found it, em- um, emptied it and took a picture of the contents and the bag. Oh yeah. And um, said, "Whose is this?" And I said, "It's mine." <laughs> and very kindly, <laughs> I keep my condoms in my in my makeup bag. <laughs> And very kindly, she'd like emptied it, put those back in, and taken a picture and sent it to everyone. And I messaged her like separately and said, "Thank you so much for for putting my condoms away before you before you." Yeah. But that was it was found by a woman, and I wonder yeah. if it's found if one of the boys found it. If they they might be, not have thought. They yeah. might not have thought. But yeah, <laughs> isn't it interesting? Yeah, that is really strange. Yeah, yeah just, it makes sense. I mean, it's a it's it's a personal item you know that where you store things that you wouldn't want people to see mm. you know necessarily I mean unless unless you do give consent and there's it feels a little jarring suddenly seeing someone going through your bag yeah. without you letting them know it was okay um you know if I if I'm looking for something if, let's say if I'm looking for something and I'm in a different room um if my husband says what if it's in your bag and he's in the same room as the bag he always asks me yeah can I look through your bag you know, like it's just—it's just something we grow up with. Yeah, it is. It's something. It's a very, very important rule. Yeah, everyone knows. Everyone knows not to look through someone's bag, yeah. especially a, a handbag. Exactly. A bit. It feels a bit different with it's like a backpack or yeah, something like, that. like something a sport, that, like a gym bag yeah, or like, something. Like this will contain functional items. Yeah, that yeah. Aren't yeah. Like a woman's handbag that is yeah. very, very private. But if it's not penetrated. It's very, very powerful bag. It's very full of, like, powerful. Full of secrets yes. and things that can maybe damage you. Yeah. And you, but you just can't, you just can't go in there and see. Exactly. Exactly. Oh, yeah. I really, I, I really love like that shot with the handbag. Yeah. This, I think it's the best bit in the film. I mean, that whole There's film so is amazing. Suspense. There's so much in there, but that, that whole sequence with the handbag. I loved with everyone, it. you can just, <laughs> you have like all of these close ups of everyone's eye, like faces, like everyone's anxious faces, and they're all looking at this bag. Yeah. And they're all anxious about it for different reasons, but they're all very anxious about it. It. Yes, they are. Yeah, I love it. What was the third item that you had there? So the wardrobe. Oh yeah, the dress where she where she. Oh the dress. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's. Oh, but also the title is black Le- blood and black lace. Yeah, it's a black lace dress. It's a black lace dress. Yeah. So in Italy, I'm trying to think. Am I right in thinking that Italians they ha- they do have a lot of like superstitions around? Yeah. Um, there's a lot of like old tales about. Uh, and myths connected to bad luck transmitted through personal items. Like, I've read that before. Um, And they place a lot of, like, I don't know, faith in these kind of superstitions. Yeah, well, like, um, I mean, I think Catholicism, which is the primary religion, is quite a superstitious uh, religion anyway, because you have a lot of... um, like, pen, like pendants and uh, right. statues and just, like, objects, objects. that are imbued with uh, power, yeah. I suppose. Um, I actually really want a St. Anthony something. I've, I can't decide what I want. I think maybe a bracelet. Yeah. Because he's the patron saint of lost things. That's right. And I'm a researcher. And maybe people will help me find lost things. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's so nice. But I'm not Catholic. I'm just yeah. superstitious. And I want power. 
imbued through like something I'm wearing. Yeah. I don't know why. I, I do think love it Catholicism. I love of... Catholicism too. It's so cool. It's the closest religion we have to magic. It is. Whenever I lose something and I pray to St. Anthony, I always find it. I always find it. And I don't know. I I'm I'm I don't know about God, but I know about St. Anthony. Yeah. <laughs> There's something very magical whenever I feel a bit down or I need I feel like I need help immediately. Mm-hmm. I always say Hail Marys, and I oh, it always, it always helps works. me. Okay. It always works. There is some, there's something very superstitious about Catholicism. I've actually got a really good. I actually just re- remembered where my Saint Anthony obsession comes from. Oh yeah, my grandmother. Yeah. Uh, it was after the war, but when um, when uh, England was still rationing. Yeah. And you couldn't get if you didn't have your ration books, you couldn't get things. Yeah. Like you, you were screwed. And she had uh, like an old ration book, and she had she'd been given a new one, and they hadn't got to it yet. She hadn't used up the old ones. Mm-hmm. So when she went to look for the new one, she couldn't find it. Mm. So she, getting, she was getting to the end of this ration book. She had a whole new book full of tickets, ration tickets, and she just couldn't find it anywhere. Okay. And she was teaching at the time, and she was in the staff room, and one of the and she was teaching in a Catholic school, and one of the uh, other teachers said, you know, Miss, Mrs. Cleaver, you look troubled. Are you okay? And she said, I'm, I'm just, I'm really worried. I've lost, I've lost my ration book and I can't, I don't know where it is. I don't know where I put it. Yeah. And I, I, I'm just, I'm just thinking about it. And um, she said that the teacher got down on her knees in the staff room and prayed to St. Anthony. And she said that oh she, God. she remembers thinking, well, thanks for nothing. Like that's like, just you haven't helped me at all. And she went home and found it on the top of the wardrobe. Really? And now she always prays to St. Anthony. Oh my God. Yeah. There's something about that. I'm, I mean, maybe it's just, you know, it could just be placebo, you know, whatever it is. But there is something magical about it. And I quite like that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. So I suppose with, yeah, you're right. Like it was very striking to see um, just the reaction of models in relation to that object. You know, Mm -hmm. this dress, which suddenly was, as you say, imbued with meaning and power. Yeah. Uh, and it was it had a very destructive aura around it now. And the girl that does put it on, I wish I could remember her name, um, but the girl who does put it on yeah. says, someone's got to do it. That's right. And uh, I really, I liked that line, but it was really like that you're inevitably, inevitably, it's like, um, I'll be right back or That's something right. like that. She just, it's kind of, she was like accepting of death at yeah. that moment. Because it does, and it, that's the thing, it, that they had to keep killing people to cover yeah. up this initial crime. So it was just this, um, what is the word when something just is inev- it was inevitable and so she just kind of just decided to be the next person yeah. I suppose <laughs> it was really I don't know it just seemed like this really sad moment it's, um, yeah it's such a um, in a way there's not much in terms of once you kind of start to fall into the formula of the film mm. there's not that ma- there's not that many surprises like yeah. You can kind of predict. I mean, there the ending was pretty good, though. I must say, the ending was good. I um, like. I actually like the. Uh, I like. The, I like it when people come back from the dead. Yeah, in, me too. In films, in me too. Films. <laughs> Especially when it's women. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, but then there, in that way, it's very similar to the eyes of Laura Mars, mm. uh, and the and this idea of, you know, a serial murderer, um, and the ability to gain access visually into the the mind of a murderer mm. or their perception um yeah should we move on to yeah Mars? yeah i think we're done with blood and blackface yeah um, but, highly recommend oh my god if you haven't seen it watch it it's amazing it's great um so the eyes of laura mars 
Yeah. Um, 1978 release. That's the year of my birth. The year. Okay, so it's very So, important. very... We should do an episode where we just talk about films that are from the year of yeah, our birth. And how definitely. they probably influenced us. In yeah. I had a strange connection watching this film because I knew that it was released the year I was born. Mm-hmm. And I just felt so... I don't know. The, the whole look of it, the vibe, the, the way it looks, the, what people are wearing, the music, the scenes, the amazing scenes of New York. Yeah. It just made me think so much of my mom because um, obviously I've seen a lot of photographs of her and her friends that year and like maybe prior to when she had me and it just made, it. I felt so connected to it because my mom's a fashionista. Mm-hmm. She's a real close horse. And um, yeah, so it, just, it was an interesting, uh, interesting and also because I met my dad for the first time at JFK Airport because he was out of the country when I was born. Oh. Oh my god so that's my, so lovely i know it's crazy so i was only six months old and and we were my mom and I, uh, um we, we arrived at the airport john f kennedy and my dad was there to greet us i was only six months so yeah it's kind of a weird thing um but this film is a mystery thriller film mm-hmm. it stars faye dunaway and tommy lee jones in the lead parts oh, tommy lee jones i know he's so hot in this film oh he's such a unibrow <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, his unibrow. He's got great hair, though. He does have great hair. It's really, really weird to see him. He doesn't see him young, because, like, you know, for my generation, Tommy Lee Jones is just that guy in Men in Black. <laughs> I know. It's so, it's so strange to see him young. So it's actually adapted from from a script titled Eyes, which was ri- written by John Carpenter. Um, by, John, by the John Carpenter? Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. Um... Because again, it is a slasher. It is, yeah, exactly. Um, and this was Carpenter's first major studio film, which is interesting. I did in not itself. know that. That is very interesting. Yeah. Um, so, what what else can we say about it? So, um, Laura Mars is a fashion photographer, a very yes. successful fashion photographer. She's so successful that she her work is transcended fashion and become part of the art world, and it's being sold in a gallery. That's it. Um, which is something that's very that's I don't. I don't even know if it really was happening back then. Like that's it. Really, because that's what happens now. Fashion yeah. photography is sold in galleries, and it is it has yeah. this, this huge astronomical value. I wonder if that was a bit of a predictor of that. Um, mm-hmm. And she uh, has. No, I wouldn't call them visions, but she has episodes where she sees, essentially, from the viewpoint of a serial killer who is yeah. going around killing people that she knows. Yeah. And so the first vision she has is of the serial killer, uh, like stabbing out her own some images of her own eyes in a book. In a book. Um, and then she uh, sees um, I think the murder of the first. And again, it's just it's murders of models mainly. Yeah. Um, and then it, later it's her friends as well. So yeah. it, that some men get murdered. Yeah. But basically, the serial killer is walking around, is going around killing uh, people and stabbing their eyes. Stabbing their eyes, and when when he does or she does, when the when the killer does, um, you uh, she, Laura sees it happening. Yeah, but she only sees it happening at that moment of sort of frenzy. Yeah, um, and so when she realizes that this is a real thing that's happening, she tells the police, and they obviously think she's making it up. But they're already interested in her yeah. because they think that her photographs look like the crime scenes. That's right. 
Um, and they think that she's, they have this opinion of her as this sort of morally bereft purveyor of pornography yeah. and violence. There's a lot of um, controversy surrounding her work. So yeah. even at the kind of launch of her, the exhibition of her work mm. and her book, um, she gets sort of, yeah, I suppose, accosted or quite sort of, I don't know, interviewed in a hostile way by people who accuse her of, of um Misogyny. misogyny yeah someone says do you realize how offensive your photographs are to women yeah and i suppose this is you know blood and black lace is made sort of pre yeah that second wave feminist time yeah. but this is slap bang in the middle of it exactly so this is the you know this is very much it's very much concerned with oh yeah with images of women and with the idea that a woman could make photographs of violence against women yeah and and also particularly women styled the way they are in her photographs mm -hmm you know, scantily clad, there's, there's some elements there of aspects in her photography that are, are very highly sexualized. Well, yeah, like Blood and Black Lace, actually, like Black, yeah, they'll, absolutely. they'll get their clothes ripped up yeah. a little bit when they're murdered, don't yeah. they? You see all their boobs, or not their boobs, they, you see their bras. Yeah. And she's the same, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, what I think of as, what I think is maybe wider than it's the fashion boob, you know, like when one boob is just casually out, <laughs> that's a fashion boob. There's a fashion boob. There's a quite a few fashion <laughs> boobs. Oh yeah, Absolutely. So there's this kind of objection being, um, you know, people 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 are taking offense. They're 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 concerned about women being shown scantily clad, and then brutally murdered or violated in some way. That there's this connection being made w between their glamour and their beauty and sexuality, and the fact that they're now being shown either assaulted or killed or whatever. Mm -hmm. There's some degree of violence being shown in the photographs. Um, it's also worth noting, by the way, that this film, Eyes of Laura Mars, is said to be an example of the American version of the Italo Italian giallo genre. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. It, really, it does really follow the same conventions. Yeah. Um, right down to this sort of, this idea of a, a sexual, like, there's, like, there is this idea in there of it, like, that, that it's to do with sex. Yeah. Um, which yeah. Is, it kind of is, but not in the way that we think it is. Yeah, and it is noted for its use of like red herrings and its twist ending. Yeah. Who did you find that you did you all? Yeah, how? Who did you think did it? Did you go with the with the red herrings or did you? I did. Yeah, I did too. I yeah. really did. I really like. I thought that it was her manager. Yeah, for a I long did time. too. Um, yeah, it took me a while, it took me, but then I, I couldn't believe the ending. My, my mom actually predicted it. Really? Yeah. Oh, she's just, she's She's, she's really clever. Yeah. She, right, almost right from the beginning, she was like, oh, that, it's just the way that the cop, you know, Tommy Lee Jones's character. Spoiler, it's Tommy Lee Spoiler Jones. alert. <laughs> it's the, it's right at the beginning where he showed so much interest in her, one of her photographs at mm -hmm. the exhibition. And he said, it's so tragic. It's tragic. And she said, my mom said, it's funny that he should say it's tragic. I think he's pretending he does know who she is. Mm. He knows so much about that photograph and he's come here and he doesn't know, like he's lying. And I was like, and she, right away she got, that it got stuck in her mind that he was suspect in some way. And um, it's, it, for me, this film, it's just, I really loved it. I really love the way it looks. I love it too. It's incredible. I love this, like all of the shoot scenes are yeah. amazing. Um, there's that scene where they're all like kind of dancing and 
and oh it's just it's it's such a good film i love it, it so is. much it is um i love the opening credits as well I love the opening and again credits. i think you could we could have i mean there were so many combinations of ways that we could have discussed films in this series but we could have watched it with blow up yeah because i think it again is another film about the mistrust of the photographic process in general yeah you know the because the opening credit i found the opening yeah. and closing credits so interesting because they're pictures of laura they're not they're not pictures of the models they're no. not pictures of the bodies they're not they're pictures of her, and they're they, they on the phone crying. So in the end, it's on the phone crying, and in the beginning, it's just a still image that oh, yeah. eventually inverses. That's right. Um, but there's, there's, it just starts yeah. as a like a black and white photograph of her face. Yeah. And the s- lyrics in this song, which you said is a Barbara Streisand yeah. song, something something about uh, I'm like a prisoner. I've been taken. I've been hypnotized. Yeah. And um, it's uh, I think it's I mean maybe about fashion in general but i i'm i'm in i'm like a prisoner i've been taken is what you are in a photograph exactly exactly this strange um almost fear maybe irrational phobia Mm -hmm. of having your photo taken that now suddenly you're it it sucks out your soul the camera sucks out your soul and then you're going to be trapped in this image for all eternity Mm -hmm. And you've been captured. I mean, literally. Yeah. And the one person in the, in that film that is guilty doesn't like. Uh, there's a bit where she turns the camera on him. Yeah. And he doesn't like it. No, he doesn't like it. Um, there is something about it, you know the a photograph you will reveal, if not your sequence, then so, something that you didn't give permission to be revealed, whether yeah. it's you looking bad or you. Whatever it is, you're just not comfortable with yeah. it. It's so interesting this linkage being made between. Um, the fashion photographer who has these visions and who has a vision for her style. Yeah. Very controversial. Because she says, uh, she says to him, you know, I, I, one day I had this vision. He says, yes. is this a vision like when you saw the yeah. killer? And she's like, no, it's a different kind of yeah. vision. And she says, I just, but it sounds like her vision is, a, her original vision is kind of um, anxiety or an intrusive thought. She says she sees violence. She sees That's specifically images. named. Yeah. yeah. Um, and she has to, so she just has to make them, yeah, um, to confront everyone with these, you know, these violent images. And people are talking about it at the exhibition. This one girl is saying, you know, we, you know, she just wants to show violence. She just wants to show it until, until we, um, until we're bored of violence. Yeah. And I thought, well, it hasn't happened yet. No. And I, it made me think again about. I think. I think uh, we have to do something about this, about like the fascination with crime and true crime at some point. We will. But the um, yeah the the I and also the connection between uh, violence and anxiety. When I'm having, I think I'm not, I'm not alone in this. Like, mm. I know that the audience for those true crime podcasts are listening to those podcasts from out of anxiety as a way yeah. to soothe, soothe their anxiety. Yeah. And I certainly watch horror movies and Me listen too. to murder podcasts as a way to soothe my anxiety. Yeah. Listen to them when I'm falling asleep and I'm having bad thoughts and it's strangely soothing mm. yeah i agree it is very soothing and i don't know i, I mean we'll discuss it another time but there's 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 a link there, there for there's sure a link there between your anxiety and violence. because the way that she also experiences her visions like her, her sudden she, she'll just be going on about her day like in a very ordinary way and suddenly these images dominate her mind mm. and she can't dominate she, her vision dominate she her vision she can't her see her own stuff she can't see her own reality she's it's like she's blind the to where she is of this murderer exactly yeah 
but they really feel like panic attacks. Yeah, they yeah, they are. And and I've I really noticed that I felt like this film was so much more about the creative process than Blood and Black Lace. Yeah. It was really I think that's kind of it's post sixties, it's post that explosion of you know, of the you know, image makers are artists too, you know, and um but it They're driven really by something. Yeah. But it really struck me that she has after the first one, which happens in her sleep, I think. Yes. They happen while she's taking pictures. Yeah. And it just seemed, it didn't seem like um, a supernatural thing. It seemed like self-doubt and, you know, yeah. performance anxiety and... Or because they had to syndrome. shut down the shoots. Yeah. So the first time it happens, she, I think she keeps going. Yeah. And then, um, and then, and then by the time it happens again, she's just unable... I'd, actually, it doesn't. No, it doesn't happen during the shoot. She just thinks it's going to happen during a shoot. Well, and there's that bit where she like she someone hands her the gun that's going to be used as a prop, and she can't yeah. touch it. And then she keeps she like raises the yeah. camera, and then she can't. She just can't do it. No. And I I've heard you know I've heard photographers talking about that. I think I've heard. I think there's a quote from Nick Knight where he says, you know, every single time you think, you know, I this is going very badly. You know, mm. everyone else made this person look amazing, and I'm failing. Wow. And I remember reading that like ten years ago, and just oh feeling really. It was really nice. And Lord Snowden um, uh, said that he sometimes sits in his car outside the house of a subject, hoping that they cancel. Oh wow! Because the I just the the idea is so it's so overwhelming, and so so overwhelming, and so anxiety producing. Oh my god! So where we had you know blow up where this photographer like. Um, sort of wielded a lot of power here you've got this this very like sensitive creative who's who is like almost sort of so almost so sensitive that they kind of that she kind of compares herself to like 18th century like, yeah. martyrs at some point you know like hysterics like yeah. women who saw visions and died in insane asylums <laughs> but who's just so who was just so overwhelmed by the vi- actually by the violence of others yeah. that she can't work anymore. No. So it's very different. She's a very different photographer. That's so true. That's so true. Mm. But it's so interesting because I'm just thinking of the two shoots that where she did have those visions. Mm. One was in the middle of um, kind of Manhattan. Uh, out on the street. Yeah, they're doing like a car, like not. It's not. There's like a car accident in the background, and, then and like the cars are on models, fire. The cars are on fire, and yeah. the models are all like fighting. They're wearing bikinis they're wearing with bikinis fur cord. Yeah. yeah, and they're fighting. They're ripping each other's hair hair yeah. out. And one of the models is like, you don't have to. You don't yeah. pull it so hard to the other model. <laughs> That's right. And so she, and 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 Laura is there. She's obviously you know busy taking the pictures and everything, and it's all her uh, artistic direction and everything. And then she's suddenly taken over mm. by these this vision. She can see uh, through the perspective of somebody else. She can't see what's in front of her anymore. Yeah. She's completely consumed by the this other. It's, not, it's what is it? It's like this disembodied perception of violence mm. that surges through her, through her eyes. And in a way, as an artist, you know, as a female artist working in this industry at that time, uh, creating these very controversial images, that's exactly what she was being accused of. Mm. She was spreading this virus of violence through popular culture. Um, that her, her, you know, her vision, her eyes, her, what, she, what she had an eye for, let's say, mm. um, was like a, a brutal force. 
you know, blazing through society, blazing through um, actually a culture that reaches to even very conservative people. Now, they're suddenly confronted with something that makes them feel uncomfortable. Mm. So in a way, it's like I always say, and this is very much a kind of t- a kind of Saadian thing, which Marquis de Sade t- talked about art as, you know, the creative force having, yes, a very positive um, life-affirming mandate, but also it has to have a destructive mandate, mm. that it should offend, that it should it should definitely bother people who are like repressed moralists. Mm. That, that's its job. And people like Pasolini and, um, you know, others kind of took took that on board. Of course, Lars von Trier as well. Yeah, of course. Um, and there are fashion designers that take that on board. Absolutely. Well, and, and image makers. And image makers, yeah, absolutely. There's, huge, there's always something, some controversy, some offense yeah. happening in the fashion industry. Like like we said, Alexander McQueen, yeah. um, you know, uh, and actually probably also Tom Ford was doing that too. Ray Kawakubo. Yeah. Always making, always making collections about death. Oh, yeah. Ralph Simmons. Do you remember I sent you this funny, um, it was like this segment on BBC News. Oh, I remember that. It was someone talking about... This campaign. Should, should we read that for next time and talk yes. about it? Because we have to... We have to address we that. We have to address that. Cause, but it also... The thing is that I feel like um, the eyes of Laura Mars, it would have been very um, transgressive and... Um, controversial and experimental in the 70s to make images like this yes and you know and i think we've said you know we've said these are so obviously inspired by Guy Bourdain that yeah. actually the images are actually taken by a female photographer Rebecca Blake the images oh, in the yeah. film um but there is a there is a point where um some of the images that you see now are less less transgressive because they seem less new yeah um, where, yeah. where photographers have done the same thing, where fashion photographers have done the same thing. I'm reminded of a an episode of um, America's Next Top Model where they do some kind of death photo shoot, Ooh. and it just looks stupid. Like it looks, it, and it is offensive because it's just like it's so recy- it's such a recycled idea, sure, but with no thought behind it. It's just like death is really hot. Let's do this. Pick this. Do this. Yeah, yeah. shoot. <laughs> um, really on the nose. Yeah. Kind of, yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, Anyway, I've lost my train of thought. Um, but the way this film ends, yeah, this film reminds me of My Fair Lady in the way that it throughout the film it's actually a very feminist film. Mm. Um, and but the ending is a is a betrayal of the of the message of the of the overall message of the film. Yeah. So and I noticed that from I actually I found it jarring. Not so basically the um, the. Police arrest her chauffeur, yeah, who has a prison record and is very, very sweet. And I love him, and I it's know. really sad. It's so sad because he's sort of unstable a bit, isn't he? Yeah, well, he's like he's just like very eager to please and very yeah. like, and he's sort of subject to a lot of like bullying from like the That's other people. It. Yeah, and he's yeah, very yeah. sweet, and he like he's he date, is very sweet, and he's dating or like he wants to date one of the models that gets yeah. murdered, and he gives her like a, yeah. a flower from the shoot. Oh, and she yeah. says a stolen flower, really suggestively, and it's really nice. And you think he's gonna like get some, but he's not because like she gets killed in the next scene and um and uh but they're having this she's having a strange conversation with the cop where what he's saying is i saw you he says i saw you no he says he says i was downstairs and i was like skulking around and i was i was hiding and i and and i saw 
and then I, I, you know, and then I, and then he sort of changes, and he's like, I saw you, and I, I thought, you know, why, like, why would, why, why would you be hiding? Like, why would you be hiding like this? And it sounds like he's talking about himself, but he's talking about the cop. Oh, wow. He's, you know, what have I got to hide? Like, what have I, what have I got to sneak around for? What have I got to hide? And he's talking about him. And he knows that he's talking about him. Oh my god! And uh, and it's so it's a strange and but he's but because he's like but it applies to him. It applies to and it applies to him, but he it also applies to this couple. Yeah. And he does, and he knows, but he's also he's telling himself in the way that we do. No, no, no this is a person in authority. Like, what have yeah. they got to sneak around for? Like, I must be mistaken. Like, and that's what he's. And it's this really like it's this really heartrending scene when you watch it and you I know, know because and I knew because I had seen the film before. And I, but I still, I still thought all the same things that I thought of the first time I watched it. So yeah. I couldn't remember who the murderer was. And then I remembered about halfway through the film. But it's about, you know, it's this, this someone, this person who's done this bad thing in his past yeah. and doesn't feel able to question anyone else who's doing something bad. Wow. And, and then he, um, and then I guess, and then they shoot him or they kill, they kill him. They do. And, uh, so, and so then, um, the there's a there's and then like she's got like a husband there's a, and that's like another thing about money yeah isn't it like he like blames her he's you know he's got this ex-husband because he's a says, writer or something. I, I can't write yeah. because you're like so cold and you're always in your dark room and and it's and she's just like you're not like you're just you can't write because you haven't you haven't stopped drinking for five years and like and you've spent get, all my money it's such a weird <laughs> excuse that he yeah. gives yeah he can't like, write because she's working yeah he's completely yeah he's totally threatened by her potential for yeah. success and and that it's kind of always reminding him that he's not being productive or something yeah. and he's going out with one of, with the model that gets killed in the beginning yeah. and so he thinks he's going to be blamed he comes over to her, ask for help all he really wants is $50 she says will $50 be enough and then he goes away and then he goes away and in the end of the film he's waiting for her in the elevator but so the bit that really jarred me is Tommy Lee Jones calls Faye Dunaway and he says it's over it's solved you know he's dead like pack your bags yeah. and I was like why is she why where's she fucking going with yeah. you yeah like she's a fashion photographer she's got a job why is she and she's suddenly and at the and at the point where they sort of say that they're in love with each other they have that kiss yeah. in the forest you know and they're, and they're both and she's like what am I doing I'm really busy and and then they like <laughs> fall into bed together and like laugh and then she just forgets about her career completely and I wrote, I wrote, I found that really weird. He was, it he was, was so far fast. Like, You're coming with me, and she starts like packing a suitcase. I was like, "Why are you going?" Yeah, he Why? should be packing. Yeah, this is like what this is really weird. And then, <laughs> and then, so he encounters her husband in the elevator. At which point, she sees through the eyes again, and she he's killing her husband, and she still doesn't get it that it's him. Mm. And, and he comes up and he comes up and he uh, she's like screaming and he's like knocking on the door and she doesn't know who it is and then he smashes her window yeah again like which is something is like that's sort of um a source of pleasure for her in the film looking out the window she like there's a bit where she goes yeah. to her studio and she opens the window and all the yeah. air the breeze comes in her face and he like just comes and smashes through it and yeah. climbs in the apartment she says you know it's he's here he's in the elevator and he's like I was just in the elevator there's no one in the elevator and then she realizes. That it's and then he does the same thing that the chauffeur does. He says, "Oh, you know, it was him. He had this, um, he had this terrible, negligent mother, and uh, you know, she used to bring men home, and and I used to, and I used to meet them." And she's like, Ooh. And he, he does the same thing. His... He does mix, you know, he's talking about this, and then he starts telling what is actually his the own narrative. Story. And at that point, that it, it's, 
it's ridiculous because he sort of said it like it kind of transpires that he's got this like multiple personalities and one of them is in love with her and the other one like hates her yeah. and wants and thinks that you know it's trying to images. avenge it's the... trying to avenge the murder of his mother who yeah. was killed by who was killed in this strange self-righteous move by one of her clients because she was neglecting her child which is like it's, it's so, so bizarre i know and um and uh, then she, uh, and then she, in the end, he like he says, you know, if you don't, and then he like lo- the loving Tommy Lee Jones comes back and he's like, you have to kill him, you have to kill me, you have to kill us both, like, and she's like, I don't want to, and then he she does, or he makes her do it. Yeah, he points the gun at himself. Yeah. And he guides her hand yeah. to pull the trigger. She didn't want to. And then she picks up the phone. She calls the police. And the police like, ma'am, like, you're going to have to tell me your name and what's going on. She's like, he loved me. He really loved me. It was me. bizarre. Just, what? Like, this is so stupid. And and, and, and just like a complete antithesis, antithesis of what this film is about. I know. But I also thought a little bit. I've been watching, um, <laughs> I've been re-watching Girls. Oh, yeah. I've decided that I'm no longer going to do any, like, Mm. My best films of this year were until mm. uh, because I think that things should be watched like far away from their original context, mm. and it's been really hard for anyone to watch girls. I think mm. because of the negative feeling towards Spina Dunham yeah. and the negative feelings towards you know white girls and their yeah, entitlement yeah, yeah. in general. Um, and we've all you know so like a lot a lot of people started watching it and then just got sick of it. They dropped it and they dropped it and but um, I started watching it again. Yeah, um, and I really like watching it away from the front. Yeah. And I watched it specifically because I was trying to find this bit in season four where mm. one of the characters gets a new girlfriend mm. and it's, it's Hannah's ex-boyfriend get, or Hannah's boyfriend just mm. gets a new girlfriend and moves her in. Oh, yeah. And uh, she's Googling her. She's called Mimi Rose Howard. Oh, yeah. And um, she Googles her and finds a, like a speech that she makes mm-hmm. where she says that when she was, uh, you know, she says, does anyone remember their first love? I do. You know, he was, you know, this boy in my class. I was nine. We held hands on the bus and I was, you know, like thrilled that it was Mm. finally happening. And I went home and I was reading and I found that I couldn't concentrate on my book. And I'd always enjoyed reading. I'd never had trouble concentrating before. Mm. And I, but instead of reading, I was thinking, what was he doing? What's he thinking? Does he still like me? Yeah. And she says, this is, she says, so age nine, I decided to break up with a boy because he was interfering with my creativity. (laughs) Um, And I've always really liked that story because I've always found it I found I find that quite relatable that when I'm in love I do find it hard to concentrate mm. on my work and uh, I think it's impossible to consciously consciously cultivate a life without love you couldn't do it sure but there is I still think it's a worthwhile thing and so when she um meets this so she meets this guy mm. they fall in love and his fucking like stuff keeps coming in between her and her work literally she can't see her own no. ideas while he's doing something. Well, like, you know, and it's... Yeah, his kind of overwhelming violent acts yeah. completely overwhelm her vision and take over everything that she's able even to see, like, even the slightest thing. Yeah, and then by the end of the film, she's not even interested in it anymore. But what's interesting is that, yeah, you're right. She's not interested. It's like she falls into this um, weird behavior that is very uncharacteristic it's really uncharacteristic she just becomes and she says like he's you know he says i've got police protection watching you i've always got people on you and she says 
oh, you know, like you're, I'm, she's like, you're, I'm a prisoner, and she's very cheerfully, I'm a prisoner in my own house, you've got me so well protected. But she doesn't say it in this way of, no, like back the fuck off. She says, oh, yeah. no, I'm all safe and warm in this house that you've, that you've put me in. Mm. And it's really, I find it really upsetting. That's why I ending. wonder whether that's, has anything at all to do with her real character or more of a kind of like projection of this infantile fantasy that haunts the Tommy Lee Jones character to do with his own mother Mm. and then sort of let's say then generalized to all women and you know that he meets later in life yeah um but serves really as a template because what struck me is that the ending of the two films are almost exactly alike yeah because they both have a man a woman killing her boyfriend exactly yeah exactly with a gun with a gun yeah so with a gun, w- with a gun, right? <laughs> so the very phallic symbol. Yeah. So the the the, the man's uh, capacity for brutal violence is turned against him, right? And if we look at the the gun as a phallic symbol, not so much a, a stand-in for precisely the male anatomy, but much more about a phallocentric center of power. You know, the, the hoarding of power in a certain place, um, where in both films. The men tried to hoard all the power, but then it was subverted against them. It was redirected against them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think in that sense, it's it, it does for me then return back to this idea of the the Freudian idea of the woman standing in as the the original symbol of the life force, nourishment, uh, protection, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, mm-hmm. That is now a source of threat, yeah. a source of, you know, the, and it's not, it's really the separation from that being problematic for the man, mm. where the man is suddenly like, in Blood and Black Lace, he's trying to overthrow her so that he can have access to everything that she owned. Yeah, everything and that take she it would her, give him anyway. Everything that she would give him anyway. He's just, he would have had it anyway, but he, well, he's being be, so greedy yeah. that he has to have it all to himself without her in the equation. Although, to be fair to him, she did kill one husband, so, yeah. <laughs> you know, maybe you do reap what you sow a little bit. A bit. But, but still, I don't, I still, I don't like it. You yeah. Know? They're both criminals. They're both killers. They They're should both just be killers. happy together. But I suppose that's the, the the tragic thing about uh, criminal partnerships is that you are in partnership with a criminal. Yeah. So How by definition, you, yeah. Where, what you can do. There's only a certain amount of trust yeah. there. It's very limited. But I I still see them both as um, this the original you know Freud's theory of the psychic wound, the first psychic wound that is painful to separate. It's painful to separate from your this the original source that gave you life. Mm-hmm. It's brutally violent. It feels like almost like a, a phantom pain, you know, like this ghost pain that you feel where you've lost something. It's like a limb that you always had and now it's gone and you still feel the loss of it. Mm. And it's, um, and I think it's much more for me connected with these, these two men expressing this unconscious pain yeah. of separation from their life you know from the original life force because we can hear the Tommy Lee Jones character when he laments about how he grew up what he's really saying is that he had a very unconventional upbringing uh, you know that he probably rightly 
complains about being exposed to things that he shouldn't have been at a young age. Mm -hmm. And he there was a lot of uh, innocence that had been eradicated from his childhood um, through the work that his mom chose to do, etc., etc. And there's a lot of resentment. And he's just seen that capacity for, let's say, sex, erotic corruption or whatever. He's recognized that in Faye Dunaway's character. And he, she's very much a stand-in for his, for his mother. She is. Apart from, she's like a strangely, she's almost like um, unhealthily moral. Well, yeah. not exactly moral, but she has this, you know, she has this like hysterical fear, which she's trying to sort of, ease with these photographs yeah and it which you notice in the first scene at her party she's dressed like a nurse oh yeah she's not i mean she's not literally wearing a nurse's costume but she's dressed like a victoria she's dressed yeah, like, like victoria yeah she's got this big like it wasn't thing on her what head. i was expecting and then this like high necked like long cut like cloak yeah and very conservative it's really conservative thing and she's and she is she does kind of show herself to be like really horrified by violence to be yeah. really really scared as well as being really she's like very she's she's kind of she is almost like she's almost like those mm. those serial killers that kill people women because they're like unpure like they like all like they just kill prostitutes because because yeah. like god told them to or something oh, like yeah. that she's like she's like in another life she'd be one of those because <laughs> she's so obsessed with like with corruption herself yeah. So she's not like she. Yeah. So he does. There is that duality. Of there like, is that duality. She's like nurture. She's like dressed like a nurse, but she's obsessed with the sex and violence. Yeah. She's got a really twisted mind, mm. you know. But yeah, and maybe precisely for that reason that she is so guarded and let's say conservative with a small c. Yeah. Um, and even the way she li she lives her life in the apartment, it's like, it's pretty straight laced. Yeah. Like there's not a lot going on there. A lot of mirrors. A lot of mirrors. Yeah. Um. Yeah, you wouldn't, you wouldn't, you know, I had this idea that she would lead a very uh, glamorous, you know, party, like party filled, life. Yeah, yeah, party life. She's just work. She's, She's all, work. all work. Which I think is another, very Tom is another uh, cons uh, misconception about the fashion industry. Exactly. Is that everyone's partying all the time, but actually everyone's very tired. Yeah. Because they work very long hours. Yeah. So it's, a, it's, a, it's really, they're, they're both, all perfectionists. Yeah, so, they're all perfectionists yeah. and they all work all the time. <laughs> And everyone, I mean, I really like the sort of collaborative aspects of all of, like, all of these people that are involved with her. Mm. You know, like, all these people want to be on the shoot. Even her chauffeur wants to be on the shoot. And, like, yeah. you know, comes to watch and, like, picks up the flowers. And yeah, that's right. I really liked him. He's so sweet. Yeah, he was very sweet. I'm sad that he died. It was so sad. And then, but, yeah, the Tommy Lee Jones character, he didn't want him to get shot. Mm. And when he was, he he ran away disgusted and he said... He should have been taken to the psychiatric ward. He was sick. Yeah, but again, it's he's the, talking about he's himself. Talking about himself. Yeah. He's talking about himself. This is a really fascinating film. I mean, it's um, even like, do you remember when she went to her friend's birthday party? Yes. And he was having a very fabulous birthday, and uh, I really like that character. I, I must do say, too. I thought he was the murderer for a little Me while. Me too. But then I really liked him. I was sad when he died as well. I know. It was Especially so sad when there is actually he died because he was trying to help her. He was dressed as her, which is another quite interesting thing. So, is, was he supposed to be her when he was murdered, or was he supposed to be himself when he was murdered? I think he was supposed to be her. Oh, that's interesting. So, because yeah, because he's only one of only two men killed, and they're both out of necessity, aren't they? Yeah. 
Um, but yeah, he's really lovely. What were you going to say about the party? Oh, just that, like, it was one of the only scenes where there was really that opportunity to just, like, let your hair down mm. and, like, relax and chill and not think about work. But even then... She says, pick me up in an hour. And he yeah. says, I really can't imagine what you're going to do in an hour. Yeah. She can't just relax. Yeah. And she, it was her fault, really, that the friend died because yeah. she dragged him out trying to act as a decoy for the cops or the private eye or whatever. Yeah, because she can't just chill the fuck out and have She can't cake. just relax. Yeah, yeah, it was really nice cake. Yeah, it looks beautiful. <laughs> I'm sad that you don't get birthday cakes like that anymore. Like, like really, I remember like, commenting. Yeah. Birthday cakes. With lots of icing. Loads of icing, like, like, like flowers of And the tray candles because he kept trying yeah. to blow them out and it, it didn't... <laughs> It's so funny. Oh, because it, that's I, I, it's interesting. Um, blowing out candles at, like just before you die, isn't it? Because yeah, it's uh, the, there's a myth about it. Like I think it's Norse mythology. Yeah, where they have a character who is who um, is supposed to be immortal, but he okay um, is sort of cursed to be. Is no, he says he's cursed to die. Yeah, and there's a a goddess, and she. Um, and she, she, I know who I think is maybe the goddess of death or something like that. And she gives his parents this candle. Oh yeah. And she says as long as this candle doesn't burn out, mm. then he'll live. Mm. And so they just never light the candle. They keep the candle safe, and he always has it with him. Ah. And then when uh, there's there's a king, and he gets rid of all of the old superstitions and the old religions, and replaces it with Christianity. Mm-hmm. And so, and then he invites him to his court and says, you know, as a gesture of like good faith, to yeah. me, as a gesture of you know, that you've really converted because mm-hmm. he's this talented musician and he brings him to the court to play like a, a lute or something mm-hmm. and he, um, and to sing. And he <laughs> says, you know, just, and he says, just like, just to show everyone here that, you know, these old superstitions are dead. I want you to light that candle. Oh God. And so he's playing and singing and he and doesn't want to do it, but he has to do it because otherwise, you know, because this, this king has like imposed this new this, rule, this new religion by force. And so he lights the candle and starts playing, and the candle gets lower and lower, and his voice gets like oh hoarser and hoarser, and he gets like paler and paler. And at the end of the, and then the candle just like goes out, and he dies. Oh my god! It's a really good story. It's in this like little group, like myths and legends book I used really? to have when I was a kid. Yeah, that's um, a great story. Anyway, it's probably nothing to do with that, but I did find it. It's like his his birthday, and he's like blowing these candles out, yeah. and they won't go out, and he's blowing them, blowing them, and then he goes outside and dies. He was a great character. He's he had so good much. Character. Yeah, he was so humorous, and, and w- when the birthday cake turned up, and it was all you know, all these candles blazing, he said, "It's like the Atlanta burning." Yes, <laughs> because he He's was trying to comment on his age. He had a great sense of humor. He's lovely. Yeah, it was I sad. thought it was him because he hired the show for knowing about his criminal record. Yeah. So I thought he was maybe that was a good red herring. On, you know, on planning on framing him, but no, it wasn't. It was no. stupid Tommy Lee Jones with stupid mummy issues. <laughs> It was great. It's a great watch. Yeah, really yeah. good. Um, I think I've, I think I've finished with yeah, Laura Mars. Yeah, me too. Okay. Yeah. Um. So next week we'll be back. We'll be continuing with uh, fashion and death. Yeah. Uh, but in a slightly different way, and we're going to be talking about the Neon Demon and the September issue. Yeah. So this is your warning. Please watch if you don't want if you don't want spoilers. Yeah, especially Neon Demon. Oh, especially Neon Demon. Yeah. That's a really good one. Yeah, and that's actually one of the, I I actually look up spoilers for a lot of films. I don't know why. It's a really bad habit I have. But I didn't know what would happen in the Neon Demon. I was very surprised. Oh my god! That, yeah, that really shocked and me as thrilled. well. Yeah, <laughs> and this this is another thing that uh, we really love to hear from you guys because so many people hate the Neon Demon. Yeah. I think it's one of the worst films they've ever seen. I love it. Me too. Mary loves it. 
but yeah. we were we were, we were talking to Mike from Evolution of Horror yeah, and I... just talking about how excited we were, and he was like, "I really hate that." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's very divisive. Yeah, well, maybe we can change our mind. So yeah. let us know. Yeah, let us know what you think too. Bye. Bye. <laughs>